welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another week. There has been plenty going on in the world of women's football here in Australia, so we cannot wait to take you through all of it. Before we start, though, I wanted to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands that we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people. We would like to acknowledge their elders past and present and thank them for looking after these lands and letting us do fun things like this podcast on them. Um, it's me, Marissa Lodanik, today, and I'm very excited that we are back to an awesome foursome. We've got Angela Christian Wilkes, Sam Lewis, and Anna Harrington all on today. So we are at a full complement. We've got lots of games and stuff to talk about. So let's get into it. We'll start with some You Love to See It's because that's where we like to start things off. So, Sam, do you want to kick us off with a You Love to See It? Yes. Yeah, so, my uh, You Love to See It this week is a Really special, I think, free kick. We've seen a, a number of bangers, not just this round, but throughout the whole season so far. But this one was really great. This was Emily Condon's free kick for Adelaide United in their win over Perth Glory. And it was special, not just because uh, I think Emily Condon is a fantastic player and she is really shining in this Adelaide team, but specifically because of the camera angle that was used in the slow-mo. I tweeted about this. It was it was one of those uh, highlights where it was ex- exactly in the position that you wanted the camera to be so you could really appreciate what the ball did in the air and her technique, the placement, the speed of it. It was just beautiful. She just curls it up and into where the spiders live in the top corner. So Emily Condon free kick in Adelaide's really good win that they needed over Perth. You'll have to see it. We love to see it. And the best thing for me about that angle as well is that you could see then the fans behind the net and there was two that you just watched them go up as the ball hits the back of the net and it was just their faces were absolutely priceless. (laughs) So we love to see that. Harrow, what did you love to see? I love to see another banger. It was uh, Rachel Lowe's first start for the season for Sydney FC, I believe, and four minutes in makes her mark when the ball spills out to her and she absolutely just leathers it like she gets her foot around it beautifully and um the way it spins uh lily alfell just has absolutely no chance of of saving it um just a fantastic strike like like sam mentioned with the condom one it's when they just hit it so purely and sweetly that you're like there's nothing stopping that um clearly a confidence booster for rachel Lowe and just a, a wonderful wonderful goal so yeah rachel Lowe absolutely smashing a sensational goal you'll have to see it we really did love to see it. Angela, what did you love to see? I love to see uh, Mackenzie Hawksby get a hat-trick, um, or as I call it, the Hawksby half hour. I just needed to do that one. Um, yeah, none of the goals were bangers as per the current theme, but they were all goals, and that's very nice, and it was have been a lovely occasion for her because not only did she get the three goals after having a bit of a rough trot last week she just couldn't find the back of the net she also managed to get the three goals in front of her family at home so she's from the gong where the game against Wellington was again I always forget to say which game it was in the five nil drubbing of Wellington this is what I'm talking about um and yeah she got to score those three goals um in front of her family which was real cute for her so Mackenzie Hawksby smashing it and continuing to smash it as she's having a great season so far you love to see it we did love all the crosses to the Hawksby family as well. They looked like they were having an absolutely great time there. Um, I'll finish off the kind of banger you love to see it 
compliment with Katrina Gorey's absolute stunner for Brisbane Raw against Melbourne Victory. We all know that Katrina Gorey can hit goals like this, so it was really, really nice. But also, like, of course, this was her first goal back after giving birth. It was absolutely spectacular, just chipped Mel Maisel's. She literally had to stand there and watch it sail over her head. It was perfect. It was excellent. And then, obviously, the celebration was phenomenal as well, getting to do the little baby rocking and baby Harper was in the stands with Grandma as well. So it was just a perfect afternoon for Gorry and for Brisbane, and we absolutely loved to see it. But let's crack into some match chat. Unfortunately, we didn't have a full complement of games. We lost a couple to COVID. So we have three games that we will be talking about and we'll kick things off with, as Angela mentioned, Sydney's 5-0 dropping of Wellington Phoenix. It was no bueno for the Knicks. It was, I can imagine, not a pleasant kind of halftime talk because all five goals happened in that first half. Harrow, you said you were watching it intently. Tell us what you saw. Yeah, I was covering the game for AIB, so I'm watching it very intently, obviously. Um, drubbing is probably the easiest way to put it, and Sydney could have had a couple more chances. I think they had two goals that were disallowed for offside as well. So, they, yeah, they, they just stumped him. It was quite extraordinary. Um, like Gemma Lewis was so flat after it, um, given they managed to obviously steady things after, after the break. But it was like Sydney just got so frustrated in that derby that you just wouldn't have wanted to be the team to play them after um, because they were just absolutely fanging to score some goals, to absolutely punish someone. And we know that they've been rock solid at the back as well, Sydney, so they've got that base. And they just unleashed. Like I mentioned that goal in, from Rachel Lowen, you'll have to see it, and it just started something. And then once the first goal was away, the floodgates really opened. They were dominant. And they were creating it well. I thought Rachel Lowe was really good in midfield and combined really well with, with Courtney Vine, who's obviously had such a good season. And they look so dangerous. Um, the one thing I love was Remy Simpson, who had one of those goals disallowed. Um, it was like such a classic striker face where they were up 5-0 and it's like, ah, and I've had two assists, but where are my goals? Um, but they just were dominant. Um, I think especially when you look at how victory in particular have have stumbled over the last couple of weeks, Sydney have to feel like at least they are they're they're well on they're on top clearly in terms of the table, but they do feel like the team to beat as they prepare to head into these games against the Victorian and other interstate clubs. Um, yeah, I, I just thought they were they were clearly dominant. And Wellington, I know they were playing Wellington, who have you know they've had some moments, but they've clear they're clearly amongst the the bottom tier of teams this year. But it was ruthless. Um, I think they would have been disappointed, Sydney, not to score in that, in that second half. And maybe they did take the foot off a little bit. But it's, I guess, the only real negative to come from them, and it's a big one, is um, Anto Europe said post-match, they reckon that their skipper, Nat Tobin, who's obviously been such a rock in the centre of defence this season too, uh, they were worried about a potential broken foot after a, a challenge. So, yeah, in the second half that forced her off. So... It's one of those ones where Sydney just looked so dominant and you hope that the news is better than first expected for Nat Tobin because otherwise it was pretty much a, a delightful performance from the Sky Blues. Yeah, dominance the word for it. And you only need to look at the stats. I don't think I've seen stats this lopsided in the season so far. Sydney had 29 shots to five, 11 shots on target to one. 
63% possession to 37 and 521 passes to 311. Like that's an extraordinary number in any kind of footballing context. And it was really clearly displayed on the field. And what sort of interests me about this game is that it, it sort of showed the two different sides of consistency when it comes to squad selection. Like we know that Rachel Lowe came into, into midfield, but other than that, I think that was the only change that Ante Juric had made from the previous game. And we know that Sydney really prides themselves on maintaining a consistent squad because that's how you build chemistry and that's how you maintain dominance season after season. Wellington have done the same. They have very rarely changed their squad since they started. But maybe just by virtue of them being young, coming into the season uh, pretty unfit as well, they didn't really have a full complement of pre-season weeks for them all to work together. They have, uh, they're clearly very fatigued and that consistent use of players is perhaps not doing Gemma Lewis and the club the same sort of favour as what it has been doing for Sydney. have been doing it for a lot longer and with more senior players, I suppose, and fitter players. But I don't think it's a, it's, I mean, like the scoreline, yeah, whatever, but I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing. I think Wellington are learning a lot from moments like this and from clubs like Sydney, because I sort of feel like Sydney is what Wellington could be in a couple of seasons time. If they take the same approach, if they take, if they decide that the consistency of squad is going to be something that they embed into their um, multi-season plans, they could emerge in a couple of seasons time as, as one of the contenders. And I think, during the last two or so weeks, there has been a couple of conversations about Wellington and how much potential they really have. And we can really see what they can become if they continue to work hard and really embrace the principles that Gemma Lewis seems to be laying down with these young players. So I'm really excited. Like Wellington, we all pegged them to get the wooden spoon. They came in as newbies. You know, we didn't really expect much, but I've actually been impressed by what I've seen from Wellington, regardless of results and score lines. Ante Juric said he'd been impressed with them as well. And you could tell that they were so disappointed with that with that first half. And uh, credit to Gemma Lewis, she actually kind of took it upon herself and said, maybe I shouldn't have gone with the same squad. I think it was three games back to back to back. Um, because Sydney did look a lot fresher. And as I said, they were clearly raring to make a statement. The interesting thing you mentioned before there, Sam, about squad consistency is how much Sydney are going to have to deal with disruption to their squad because of the Asian Cup. You'd have to think... Uh, that Remy Simpson is a not a penciled in certainty, but given she's been in recent Matilda's squads, is very likely to go to the Asian Cup. Jess Nash, another possibility. And the interesting thing was Ante told Paramount Plus after the match that he felt there should have been more, that he feels like probably not enough Sydney players are being being rewarded. He sort of said off the cuff, like, oh, I, on form, you'd take Mackenzie Hawksby because you know, she just scored a hat-trick, but I don't think she's even on the Matilda's radar. And you'd have to think you'd be thinking about players like a, an Ali Green is one who's been pretty consistently good for a, for a few years. Obviously, Courtney Vine, um, we talk about. player who I would love to see is Taylor Ray. I think we've talked about her. I spoke to her last week. Lovely girl, very confident, playing the six, um, really has stepped up with Teresa Polias and Claire Wheeler both gone from last year. And Sam, I think you flagged that she was expected to step up this year, and I think she's done that with a plum. She's been sensational. Um, it's it's interesting, like how many of these players will 
Sydney be able to keep because we're expecting Melbourne Victory, for example, to lose Kara Cooney Cross and Courtney Nevin to Matildas. How many are Sydney going to lose and how is that going to affect their charge? Because based on the weekend where they just, you know, they slotted um, Rachel Lowe into midfield and we know that they've got players like Maria Jose Rojas who can come off the bench and play as a starting role. It's, it's hard to see them losing too many key parts or if they do lose a few, not being able to compensate. It feels like a very organised squad where players can come in and patch things up. The, the only question mark for me, and Sam, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, is how well they can replace Nat Tobin if she's out for an extended period of time because she's not only their captain and been playing very well at centre-back, but she is very much an exception to the rule in terms of her age. Like, she's only, like, 25, but I think the next closest in age bar say a Rojas is um Ali Green who's like 23 like this is quite a young squad how do you fill that sort of void of experience and maybe just calm cool-headedness yeah it's a really good question and it's something that we've sort of discussed off off pod as well um I mean the big asterisk I think with a lot of this and it applies to Melbourne victory situation as well is that both of these clubs still have visa spots open And maybe one of the strategies of both of the head coaches was to wait until the Asian Cup rolled around and the international window opened before bringing in some more experienced players to fill those potential gaps that current players are going to be leaving behind if they get picked to go to India. Um, And it may be in the case of both the loss of Nat Tobin and Kayla Morrison that both head coaches are going to draw upon that the international visa spot to fill those gaps, regardless of the Asian Cup as well. Um, but yeah, like it, it depends, I think, on, on who's picked. What's interesting to me with Ante's comments is that the head coaches of all these clubs get given a long list a couple of weeks before the final squad is announced. So they know who's on the radar. And so that comment that Mackenzie Hawksby doesn't seem to even be on their radar suggests that she's not even on the long list, which is baffling to me because I think she's fantastic. And the fact that she's only 21 is ridiculous considering how good she is and how much better she has become in the last two two seasons in particular for Sydney. Um, But when it comes back to your question, Hara, I think outside of uh, bringing in some international players to fill those, those empty visa spots, the only answer that I can really see is keeping Charlotte McLean in centre-back, who I think has been very, very good, and moving, if she doesn't go to India, Ali Green into the middle as well. She's played centre-back before. She's got a good relationship with McLean. And then you've got a youngster like an Angelique Christodoulou who can come in and play as a winger. Or even perhaps a Paige Satchel who plays as a winger and can possibly drop further back into a back five. You know, you've got lots of ways of sort of being flexible with this sort of stuff. Um, but it's, it is ultimately going to depend, I think, on what the Matildas do and the kind of domino effect that's going to have on the rest of the club. I think also with this Sydney team, the defence, that will be an interesting, that's the area that's intriguing me moving forward because, like, I'm like, oh, you guys can score goals. That's nice. Like, keep doing that, whatever. But I think the real test will be who can, yeah, um, infiltrate their back line and basically put some goals past them. Um, that will be the big question mark and that's going to be, yeah, the exciting part for me moving into this next phase of the season with, I guess, interstate people going up or coming down to Sydney. Um, I wonder as well, so in terms of their defence, I think there is a reasonable amount of depth there, which is nice. I Would Nash be heading to the Asia Cup? I I don't 
No one knows. That was a collective shrug from all of us. But if she stays, I feel like that's another option that they could put in centre-back. Um, she's been playing out on the, the right, which has been um, interesting for some. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's the that's my only point is this Sydney defences win championships. Isn't that the phrase? And I, at this point in time, don't really see Sydney being fallible in that area. But maybe if they are sort of weakened by the Asia Cup, we could see more chaos dub, like like what we saw this weekend with both other games. You know, whoever wins is the one that scores more goals. It doesn't matter so much how many you let in. You just, as Marissa has pointed out, with victory. <laughs> that's what, that's, I just mean I'm laughing because I'm in pain because it's, I don't think your, that take is incorrect at all. Like that, they're just, you know, the game plan of we just need to sc- score more goals than what we concede. But yeah, it's just not, it's, they're not executing that game plan. Anyway, we'll get to that later. But yeah. Um, and yeah, Taylor Ray, I, I'm a bit confused. I, like if, if I was a Tony, obviously I'm not a Tony, I wouldn't be taking like fresh babies to the Asia cup. I'd probably be bringing in slightly blooded babies like Jessica Nash. I don't, that sounds terrible. It's such a bad, I don't like that phrase, but what else is there? Um, so I feel, yeah, in that regard, I feel like, and the same with like Ali Green, for example. So in that regard, I think Sydney is safe, but I think, Further down the track, we'll be seeing more of these names in the Tilly setup. I would hope. I would hope. I think the kind of resounding takeaway we've had from this chat is that we really can't wait to see what squad Tony actually does pick to to see what happens not only for the Asian Cup and the Matildas and their chances of winning that, but for the ramifications for the rest of the A-League women's competition. So we'll obviously talk about that when the squad is released, but let's stick with the chaos. Let's not stick with the chaos. We did get an interesting question on Twitter um, from friend of the pod, Stephen Williams, who asks, do we think any of the trio of Seamson, Vine or Hawksby will still be at Sydney FC by the end of the transfer window? And again, it sort of folds into, I think, the conversation about the Matildas and what the plans for the Matildas are, because the sort of the rumour is that given the short length of time between the January and February windows, the Matildas are going to stay in Europe, basically, and they're going to hold friendlies in Europe. And so the players from Australia who are called up may not find that it's worth their time to come back to Australia, potentially have to quarantine and then fly all the way back out to Europe for a second camp. So they may eventually just end up staying there. And I wonder if that um, length of time is perhaps going to be conducive for players like a Seamson, for example, who has trained over in Europe in between camps to maybe picking up a contract somewhere mid-season and continuing their football elsewhere. What do you think? I think, as you say, Seamson's the most likely to do it. Um, we know she trained in Denmark um, last year with a few of the other Matildas girls as they were looking to avoid um, quarantining back here and keen to keep up training. Um, we know she also is signed with base um, the agency overseas as well. So she seems the most likely. I struggle to see the other two doing that. Um, it's just the January window is such an awkward time to make a move unless you think you're on to a, 
a sure thing, like when we saw, say, Caitlin Ford and Steph Catley do that a couple of years ago. Um, it, it's difficult to see them doing it. But, yeah, as you say, Sam, that Matilda situation can can complicate things. Um, yeah, for me, it's it's difficult to see the other two in particular doing it, given they're getting really, really good form at the moment at, at Sydney FC. And as a general rule, if you're onto a good thing, you either want to make a really big move or you want to, you know, carry on and try and kick on even further. So if any of them do it, I think it would be Seamson. But, you know, it could easily be none of them. I hope Seamson does it. That's my only take. I think that after her run and her, yeah, she's coming into a second really consistent um, and good season. So I feel like now is a, a good time for her to make a move if she wanted to. I don't know. Do you see it? I can't remember what the leagues are around the world, but maybe there's something in seeing out the season and probably getting the double with Sydney. There, I said it, it's probably going to happen. <laughs> Remy's never won a championship either. Um, I talked to her about this last year, just in terms of her timing. She was at Western Sydney Wanderers last time Sydney won the championship and then has played in losing grand final. She's won the premiership but never a championship. So there'd be that temptation. The thing I do really like about Remy's game now is she's rounded it out a lot more. Like she had two assists on the weekend. It was really good sort of striker drifting out wide play, which I don't think is something we've necessarily seen from her in the past. I think she's been a lot more just, I am a number nine. And now she seems to have rounded out a game a lot more. I'm sure she's learned heaps. And we touched on this in previous podcasts, like taking a lot of confidence, but also learned a lot from playing alongside and training alongside some really good strikers at Matilda's level. And she's such a good kid and such a, a talented player. I really hope that she can go on to another level because I think she also adds something a bit different in terms of a, a pure number nine. As much as I say she has rounded out her game, she is a real um, classic sort of nine at the same time. So yeah, it would be it would be good to to see her, I guess, take that next step. But at the same time, I, I couldn't begrudge her for staying and looking to really finish a season on a high note and maybe sort of catapult herself into her next move off the back of that. As I say, that is the the thing with the move abroad. You know, sometimes it works out really well, and then sometimes the immediate example for me is Dylan Holmes, who left the season early, went to Sweden. Played some games, but didn't really kind of get the minutes that she was probably looking for. So there's a whole bunch of factors that come into consideration when it comes to kind of leaving the dub early and going and finding your European pastures. But let's talk about some of the other games. It was a real chaos round, as we've kind of alluded to. So it was just all chaos all the time. And one of these chaos games was Adelaide 4, Perth 2, Perth returned to the dub after some time away thanks to quarantining and COVID and stuff. So stoked that they were back playing on the field. I'm sure they were not stoked at all with the result. It was a fun game. It was a weird game. I have said that I left my house for like 40 minutes and that was the 40 minutes where like four of the goals happened. So I am not able to discuss that bit you know, properly. But Sam, do you want to talk to us a little bit about this very fun, very chaotic game? Yeah, those are the two words for it, I think. It was a it was a really good game by Adelaide. I feel like this is it was the kind of 90-minute performance that Adelaide have been working towards for a couple of games now. You, you sort of saw them able to put together a really good sort of 20-minute period in various halves of various games, but there were just some moments, some five-minute, 10-minute periods where it all just sort of fell apart for them. 
Um, but this was a this was a really good performance. And it was a good performance by a number of different players in different sort of um, uh, areas of the field as well. I think it was, for example, Matilda McMurray's best game for Adelaide this season so far. Like she's had a weird one in terms of her trajectory. Like she was on the absolute up towards the back end of last season, but somehow it just seemed to have gone backwards uh, the start of this one. But I, I think that this was a, a, a really good, confident uh, game for her. And the fact that she scored a goal as well, just it was sort of the cherry on top of that cake. It was also a really good game for Chelsea Dorber, who I think is she's sort of in that funny in-between phase of knowing that she can be better than than the MPL, which she obviously is because she scores just a shitload of goals for Adelaide City. But she's just quite not there to be a standout W League striker yet. But I think that she can get there and she knows that she can get there and Adrian Stenton knows that she can get there. And so the more that she's able to put on performances like this and show the kind of skill that she showed in these two goals, particularly the second one where she did that beautiful pivot and absolutely rocketed it into the top of the net, with pressure from behind her as well in the space of sort of half a second, that's the quality of a good striker who knows what they're doing. So I think that the more that she's able to put on performances like that, um, the better she's going to get. It was interesting seeing the return of Dylan Holmes as well to Adelaide's midfield. We spoke about this last week about the effect that she would possibly have on this Adelaide team. And I do feel like she brought something. She brought solidity to that midfield where they didn't quite have it before. Um, She brought a sort of a calmness on the ball in terms of their decision-making as well, that I think was really necessary. So I don't think it's, it's any coincidence that Adelaide managed to put on a performance like this when probably one of the best players they've ever produced has come back into their midfield. I think she was great. And it also meant that Emily Condon was able to do what she's really good at, which is being creative and charging forward into the into the the, sort of the final third, creating opportunities for teammates, and then taking that just unbelievable free kick, which is one of my favourite goals that I've ever seen in in the league, honestly. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great performance from Adelaide. Um, as for Perth, I think they're I think they're still trying to shake off the rust of. Um, of not just the past season, but the sort of the, the pandemic affected um, couple last couple of weeks. They're, I think, still trying to find the things that click and the combinations that click. Uh, and you can sort of see that by the, the kinds of players that they're still bringing in. You know, the uh, Sierra Hinson, for example, she only just got, well, this, was her, this was her first game, I'm pretty sure. And she, you know, she started and she scored and that's great. Um, but, you know, it takes time to, to gel with players like that, particularly a player who you think is probably going to be a regular starter and scoring a lot of goals for you. So, yeah, I'd be curious to see how Perth are able to sort of respond from this. I think they did play well, um, but I think they've got a little bit further to go in order to start to make any sort of serious moves up the table. I think with Adelaide, the other thing is um, it's almost been a bit of a blessing in disguise, the, the game postponement that they had um, because they're sort of, off from, I think, the 18th of December to playing this game on the 1st of January. Obviously, you'd prefer to play each week, but Emily Condon had picked up a knock in their game against Melbourne City. They were getting Dylan Holmes back from quarantine and she needed to find a bit of fitness and settle in and sort of, you know, bed everything in. And I think that probably would have helped getting that extra, those sort of extra training miles under the belt for for them as a team. And I like your point there, Sam, about what Holmes offers because it does free up Condon. It, It gives them more midfield drive. It gives them, you know, just a, a different dimension. It obviously improves their midfield because she's a, a top quality player. And having Condon further forward allows you to get a bit more out of that um, that attack. It's not just Fiona Wirtz trying to create everything herself. So 
they're just getting a bit more fluid. I think the big thing for Adelaide was they just didn't shoot themselves in the foot early. Like that's been very much their problem in those opening couple of games, especially against Melbourne Victory, for example, or Melbourne City where they, and even in their win over Canberra where they cop an early goal and then they have to fight their way back into it. And I think Adrian Stenton was so frustrated that they could work their way into a game, but they're always coming at it from the back foot because they conceded a sloppy goal early or missed a golden chance early and then the opposition had made them pay. So just sort of holding fire and then obviously they scored first and we know it was chaotic before they eventually managed to to seal that win. But just putting themselves firstly on the front foot and then keeping at least level footing until they were able to to grind out the results. Um, it's really pleasing for them. They're, they're really exciting. And they, they've now actually, after banking some points, they're putting themselves in a position to actually make a genuine run at that four, which we think is quite open now. Um, so, yeah, they're, um, you'd have to think they're only going to get better as well. Like, it's Canberra they've got this weekend. And based on the respective team's forms, I think you'd be looking at Adelaide to, to do the double over them this, this season. But, yeah, no, I very much agree with Adelaide. I've kind of gone the early call because I can and it's fun to sometimes do an early call. I've said that their trajectory lands them in the top four just based on how everyone else is kind of tracking as well. So is it potentially premature? Yes, but if I'm right, I look, like, fantastic. But, anyway, that was one of the super chaotic games this weekend. We had another very chaotic game. It was... Brisbane Raw for Melbourne Victory 2. Again, it was fun. It was weird. There was so much going on. There was spectacular goals. There was confusion. There was cards. It was really everything you kind of wanted in a game. Angela and I watched it with some friends of the pod, Tom and Ben. Angela, what were your thoughts after this game? Mm, yeah. Um. I also... I feel like this is a great opportunity to reuse a classic Harrow joke from last season. Do you recall Harrow? Was it Brisbane 4? Was it Brisbane score? Was it Brisbane draw? It wasn't the last one. This is 1-4 victory, 2-forget. No, I did it wrong. You do it. You're much better. (gasps) Do you remember? It wasn't a 1-4 loss, Angela. That's where that joke Oh, uh, You could say it was a 4 2 to win for Brisbane Raw. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Certainly, <laughs> certainly a 4 red card. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think the victory did play better than they did last week, which, but it's still not good, still not great. But credit to Brisbane, um, sort of like the inverse of what, um, Harry just mentioned with Adelaide, they've gotten the late, like they've s- sort of lost focus in the last 15, 10 minutes of games. But this this game, they were able to actually see it out. And there was obviously, I think, some of the calls in the, so the first, the second goal in particular, really seemed to put a fire under their belly. And they were able to translate that into I guess just playing what they, the game that they wanted to play and not really giving victory um, a lot of opportunities to get in and to build any momentum. Um, yeah, I think also it's worth noting that victory were very much hampered by um, some squad selection issues regarding COVID, um, but I don't think it's 
it's fair to just put down all of the issues that occurred in the game down to that. I feel like, yeah, again, like it was still a reasonably strong starting 11 for them. Um, And yeah, I'm not really sure what's going wrong. They're just lacking cohesion. They seem a bit scattered, um, which could be again, a symptom of those off the field changes and that sort of thing. But yeah, obviously coming at it from a very, um, flat victory fan perspective but credit to Brisbane I think they yeah played really well um interestingly they dropped Anna Margraf back but I was think I was having a thunk about this post game probably should have occurred to me during the game as I watched it but that was most likely I think just to get the speed on Lynn Williams um and I think she did quite a good job of basically not letting Lynn Williams get in behind. And I think that was quite a good tactical decision by, by Gareth McPherson. So yeah, I think a collective F, F from them, you know, like also first do we, maybe I'll, I'll handball the discussion of the first goal to someone else. But um, yeah, I, I thought that victory were going to win ugly, but unfortunately, yeah, they just lost ugly. It was ugh. anyway. I'm bringing too much bias to it. Someone else take over. I mean, Brisbane Brisbane were really, really good. And like we said last week, this is the kind of performance that we knew was coming from this club because this is what they tend to do. As soon as they figure out how to put the ball in the back of the net, they do it heaps. And they did, you know, which is great. One of them happened to be in the back of their own net, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, that was a that was a really extraordinary own goal, wasn't it, from Jesse Rashad? And I I included in my uh, in my weekly rap column. Now, uh, depending on how we want to classify one of the goals from a couple rounds ago, that own goal is now second on the Golden Boot ladder. There have been approximately five. One of them is a bit iffy. It was Alana Janczewski's goal for Perth against Brisbane in round two, I think, where it took that incredible spin off Mariel Hecker and went over the top of Georgie Wirth's gloves. I think that needs to be counted as an own goal because if if it doesn't take that deflection, it just clatters into legs and it goes away. Anyway, so I don't know how to, how to analyse this particular piece of information. I don't know what it says about the league. I think Jesse Rashart has been Brisbane's best defender and sometimes a great player just has a moment where their brain farts and they just decide to do something dumb. And I think that that's just what happened in this case. And perhaps it does come back to the fact that Mia Bailey got her first start in Brisbane's goal and there was just a lack of communication between a new goalkeeper and, a, and an established centre-back. Um, but you also saw in the replay that Rashad just didn't look up when she passed the ball. And that's sort of a basic tenant, I think, of football. you got to, like, look where you're passing. So, I mean, aside from that little hiccup, I thought Brisbane were excellent. And one of the standout players for me was actually Ayesha Nori in defensive midfield. Yeah, she's someone who's really continuing to fly under the radar, but she has been so important in this Brisbane side. She is so calm on the ball. She almost always makes the right decision in the right moment. Technically, she's very, very sound as well with the ball at her feet. And her doing what she does allows a player like a Katrina Gorey, like a Mariel Hecker, to get further up the field and do what they're really good at, which is attacking the goal. So, yeah, and Aisha Nori is only quite young as well. She's only in her, I think, early to mid-20s. 
Um, and she's sort of been a bit of a journey woman. She's floated around a little bit, but never really found herself in an established side being a regular starter. So I'm really excited for what this season means for her and what it could potentially mean for Australia, because, you know, we're going to start to talk about the number six over the next year or so um, with, you know, the retirement of um, of certain senior players and injuries and things like that. And so perhaps Norrie is someone we should be talking about in that respect. I'm glad you mentioned it, Sam, because. I know that the the sort of collective inclination after that game for a lot of people was Katrina Gori. Like, and that was a lot, obviously, with that amazing goal. And she's very influential and she's obviously getting better and better um, each game as she obviously regains fitness and settles into her groove. But having a player like Nori doing that extra bit of hard work can really help. And you can't help but happy, be happy for Asia Nori. She's taken the captain's armband at Brisbane, which shows how highly rated she's there because I remember she came down to victory a few years ago I think it might have been in the really bad year and she was not good like she had a really poor year like just did not impress at all off the top of my head and has as you said Sam sort of floated a bit struggled to get game time was obviously very highly rated when she was young but sometimes players can just stutter and have different um you know growth and development isn't linear in football so clearly a player who's benefited from getting some game time under her belt and being backed in and getting plenty of midfield time. And, you know, she wasn't playing against slouches in that victory midfield. Obviously it helps once <laughs> there's a red card too, but you know, these are, these are quality players that she's go, going up against. Um, I know Murphy is very young and, but I think she's super impressive. I think victory for one thing, while I think Brisbane won the midfield battle per se, I think every time I've seen Murphy come on, same as in the derby the other week, the, the the thrashing, she's been super impressive. I think that is a move they should really stick with, keep Amy Jackson at centre-back and play Murphy more in that defensive midfield role because I think she's got a lot of potential. I think it's exciting. They look good. They were large. They were at least, you know, drawing even for a lot of the match with her in there. Um and also, I think Jackson's a more sturdy option at centre-back than we, as we saw with Eliadis um, the previous week. Um, I think it's probably worth mentioning as well, because we didn't at the start, that victory were without three players, Eliadis, Dumont and Chidiak, because they were waiting on their PCR test to come back, which is not an ideal situation, but it kind of reflects the times we're in. But yeah, anyway, back to Nori. I think it's, it's so exciting when you see a player, and we had this with a few um, in the league last season where they just sort of get to 23, 24 and it all starts to click and we forget sometimes and it's just a matter of circumstance because in the women's game especially you have players really kick on or go to another level at 18, 19, 20 or even earlier that some players are going to take longer and we saw, um, I'm not saying it's the same trajectory but we saw Claire Wheeler obviously took her time to really hit her straps and get to a good level. Emily Condon's starting to get more consistent. Like as a striker last season, we saw Melina Ayres get a little bit older, a bit more mature, put away goals. Like we forget sometimes because we're accustomed to having these wonder kids like Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford, Ellie Carpenter, Emily Van Egmond, that they're not all going to blossom at the same time. They're not all going to become guns at the same time. Sometimes it just takes a few years. And when we're looking at the, the Americans and their college system, a lot of players aren't expected to, start heading their straps until after, you know, 22, 23, 24. Um, so it's, it's good to see a player like Nori, who, as you say, Sam, has sort of floated in and out of being an A-League women regular, become a really consistent 
an important player. Um, and as you say, it really opened the door for for Katrina Gorey to do what she what she does best, which was which was so exciting. Like um, when she's scoring goals like that, as you guys said in the you love to see it, is fantastic. And we know what she can do with the ball at her feet as well in terms of creating and setting up opportunities. Um, I don't think a Matilda's return is on the horizon right now, but she's going to be well in, like, she needs time. She's got to settle in. She's got to get her fitness up. But you have to think come the, the latter stages of 2022, pushing into 2023, she'll hopefully be doing all she can to put her name back in lights. And Sam, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because I know you, we do see people go, Katrina Gore is the answer right now. And she's clearly going to need time. She, we know what she can do. We know how good she she is, but she is coming off literally having a baby. She's building her fitness. She's going to have to take time. What where did you see uh, where do you see her at? I suppose. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, she is going to take a lot longer than I think people realise to get back to the level that's required for the Matildas. And maybe part of the reason why there is all this sort of hype around Gori is because there is actually a bit of a misunderstanding about the levels that the Matildas and what international football really does require. You know, for some of the players who are part of the future Matildas program and who are on the fringes of the national team, outside of the A-League women's, they're required to do extra sessions in order to get close to what a player like a Sam Kerr or an Ellie Carpenter or a Kaya Simon is doing at their full-time clubs overseas and with the national team programs as well. Like it is just a completely different level of fitness that's required to compete at that level. I'm not saying that Katrina Gori is incapable of it or she doesn't have the potential to get back there, but it takes a long time. And you have to remember as well, she's not just coming off pregnancy, she's coming off a couple of injuries as well that sort of hampered her seasons before she fell pregnant. Um, And she's also now battling against some really serious competition in midfield. You have to think about her larger context and the kinds of players who she's going to be competing against for certain spots. Because when you think about the Matildas in their sort of their larger um, situation at the moment, Tony Gustafson's job is not just to win games, but it's also to embed players to take over from this senior squad who are going to be peaking at 2023. So when you've got players in midfield like a Kara Cooney-Cross, like a Mary Fowler, like a Claire Wheeler who are coming through, who are younger, who have more potential to grow and who could potentially be the anchor for the next generation of players, I think you take them rather than a more senior player who only has potentially two or three years left in the tank in that sense. Um, But outside of that as well, like she's a mum. Your priorities change a lot when you have a family and at the moment given the pandemic given everything else that's happening I think Katrina Gori probably has some different priorities in her life rather than just trying to crack back into the Matildas and if that's what she decides to do she wants to prioritize her own health physical and mental as well as the health of her family great you know I don't think anyone can begrudge her for doing that Um, And I don't think the Matildas are going to be any worse off for not having her there because we're discovering over the past 12 months of experimentation that when you dig, you find. And that's going to be a good thing going forward. And if nothing else, even if she does decide that Matildas isn't something she wants right now or, or if it's something she does want to push for again down the track, it's like, well, you look at these players that are trying to come through as midfielder, there's your minimum benchmark. Can Can you go head to head with Katrina Gori in a game and best her. Can you break even? Can 
you do some of the things she's able to do. Like it's like a couple of years ago when we were talking about Michelle Heyman's goal scoring, right? Like these are players who are not necessarily going to be making it, but geez, you'd want to show that you can at least do what they can do. Cause you know, we know that she's a quality player. And I like that, Sam, especially when I saw people talk about the Asian cup, like she's not going to be going to India with her baby back in Brisbane. Like, and I don't, I think it would be unrealistic for anyone to actually attempt to realistically suggest that was the case. If it, if it happens, I think it's going to be a way down the track. Um, if at all, but how good is it to see her back flourishing and clearly enjoying her football and and making her mark again? It's it's just fantastic. If I was a Gari stan, I would, I think, prefer to see her absolutely smash out the rest of the season than, yeah, hypothetically go to the Asia Cup, which, as we've covered in depth, is pretty unlikely for so many different reasons. But yeah, it's going to be an exciting season for the. For her, I think, to watch her as well. Speaking of Asian Cup, maybe it's a good pivot to talking about Melbourne Victory, who are now going to be without, you would assume, Kara Cooney Cross and Courtney Nevin, uh, who were both part of the USA friendlies. They both seem to impress Tony and the and the coaching staff and the players. You'd think they're going to be plucked from this Melbourne Victory team to go to India. And they could potentially stay overseas until the end of February, um, depending on what happens again with that international window situation. They're also going to be without Lynn Williams, whose loan spell finishes in the game against Newcastle this weekend. Um, so you really got to you got to think what is the what is the way forward for this victory team? I'm really interested in the perspective of you, Vuck fans. From my perspective, I feel like. Jeff can't do the things that he needs to do to right this wrong. I think he needs to bring in too many quality players to replace the quality that he's losing. And I don't think he's going to have that opportunity. I think they'll make the top four still, but I think our preseason predictions that victory are going to absolutely sweep the league are very much wrong now. You're definitely asking questions, Sam, (laughs) and I don't appreciate it to be honest. (laughs) But you're 100% right. I think this victory team are going to be the worst off when it comes to the circumstances surrounding the Asian Cup because I was just having a squeeze and, like, a Brisbane Raw, they're comfy. They're going to be sweet. And, like, if they continue what they're doing, they're going to really be able to, I think, exploit any tiny gaps that we see in other teams who have um, people, well, folks heading over to the Asian Cup. But victory, it's going to be not just gaps. It's... (laughs) I mean, yeah, holes. I just, so, craters. Yeah, and it's huh? What not was that, holes, sorry? not gaps. Craters, just craters. giant divots, comet-sized divots. Depends what happens with Alex Chidiak as well. Like I know she's meant to leave at the end of Feb to go back to um back to Japan um because her loan finishes in. Oh, I think her season starts again in March, um but she's going to have, if she doesn't go to the Asian Cup, she's going to have to take on a lot of responsibility. It's going to be players, I mentioned Murphy before, and Mindy Barbieri, um, who I thought added a bit on the weekend after being sort of in and out a bit. I think they do, the main thing they're going to have to do is just settle on something consistent. We know that Kayla Morrison isn't playing, but we're well past that. We're five games into the season. Like it's, you have to, like, and I'm sure this is what they'll be saying internally, they have to move on from that. Like they can't, think about 
what if we had Kayla now? Because they haven't had her for the last four games. So they've won two and they've lost two and they've lost two badly. But they almost need to settle in, whether that's Amy Jackson at centre-back, which is what I mentioned before, who I think, although is a better defensive midfielder than she is a centre-back, is a better centre-back than Tiffany Eliadis. So I think they almost have to settle in with that. Um, I thought, as I said, that Murphy provided a bit when she played in that holding midfield role. It's just finding consistency, and they're going to have to get the best out of some of their good players. They have some proven quantities. We know what um, the likes of... Catherine Zimmerman in particular can do. We we know that Withers can be handy. We know Privatelli is a very, you know, solid is always going to to give you what she gives you sort of player. Like it, it's literally going to be one of those ones where they have to try and be better than the sum of their parts and uh, pull together because that's what good, te- good teams do. Like um, we saw Sydney FC, for example, last season. I know they didn't win the championship, but they got through losing Ellie Brush. They largely got through losing Courtney Vine and, you know, were an Olympica away from winning the grand final, you know, like it's, it's that sort of thing that I imagine they'll be pressing these sorts of things themselves. They've got still enough quality players to try and make things work. They don't have the, the, I guess the cream on top, but a lot of teams don't have that at the moment. So I imagine it's, it's going to be a huge test for those players. Um, But if they want to, be in the mix for silverware they're gonna have to overcome it simple as that really and I I do I I agree in the sense that like I think with the defense they're probably just gonna have to be like this is what we're working with and we're gonna run with that because yeah bringing in unfamiliar combinations we saw last week that didn't really work and yeah Jackson would probably be the best shoe in there but I'm just like looking at the list and I'm bar, for example, putting on maybe Emma Robers and then what would that be? You'd have, yeah, that would be four. Or maybe top friend of the pod, Tom has talked about this, bringing Leah Privatelli into the back line, um, which is definitely so. an option. And she does a really good job there, but I would just feel for her because I think she's been playing really well in terms of her attacking play so far this season and she's really added to that. So that would be, I think, an individual sadness, I suppose, in that regard. But, I, yeah, I, it, it's sort of like that dog meme, you know, when the, with the Frisbee. It's like no defence, just midfield. No defence, just midfield. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah, I'm feeling very, um, what's the word? Pessimistic, pessimistic about the whole thing. I don't think victory are making finals, but um, we'll see. What is it? Hope, plan for the hope, hope for the worst. Plan for the, no, that's not it. It's plan for the worst. Hope for the best. I think the most disappointing thing would have been for I guess you guys that were there in the stadium and for the players and all of them as a whole would have been just the way they dropped their bundle, like after. Like Brisbane were very good, but Victory are a good enough team not to just be like, and we conceded and we conceded and we conceded and we conceded. Like they're a better team than that. And that's a whole field thing. Like I know Jeff wasn't happy after the um, the City loss and it sounded like he was next level after this one because there's enough good players there to defend from the front, to put pressure on in midfield, to, you know, sort of hold structure enough. Play Professional footballers know how to play with 10. They would have... They would have gone through these scenarios, I'm sure, in the past. And I think they'll just have a resounding disappointment at the way they fell away. Because, you know, if you 
if you want to be there come the end of the season, you've got to be able to handle these sorts of scenarios. And they did it so well against City a few weeks back when Amy Jackson got sent off and they, you know, sort of were very resolute and held on, got the points. So they know they can do it. I know they had to do it for longer without Kyra, who's obviously a, a key player, but it's, yeah, I think they would just be really flat at the way they they fell apart. So that's at least partly a mental thing. Um, so, yeah, I imagine there would have been a lot of people taking hard looks at themselves after that because they'd have been, I would think, incredibly disappointed, not only to, to I guess, they didn't even come away with a point in the end. They completely dropped it and ended up losing by two goals. Like, that is just dropping your bundle altogether, I think, is the the most damning thing, perhaps more so than any of the players that you're losing. Like, you don't have to look at the the Western Sydney effort against Sydney of not too long ago that just grinded out, grinded out, grinded out. And I think that's what would have been most disappointing for a for a team that's that's coming off silverware. We have one final thing to talk about before we move into some how goods. I'm not going to call it a boot because it's not a boot, but it is something that we need to discuss. There were two challenges this round, which raised some eyebrows, to put it simply. Sarah Carroll received a yellow card for a tackle on Paige Hayward in the uh, Perth-Adelaide game, and everyone looked at that like, hmm, interesting. Then, obviously, we fast-forward a little bit. Kyra Cooney-Cross has been sent off for a tackle on Larissa Crummer, and everyone went, hmm, interesting. So we need to kind of discuss the cards, the discrepancies, the kind of wider discussion about refereeing decisions, the laws of the game, VAR, not really VAR, the the discussion there is we don't want it, keep it to yourselves. Um, But I would love any sort of thoughts about these, these two challenges in particular and the conversations that kind of then popped up, particularly online kind of afterwards and how we all kind of viewed them. Yeah, it was, I, I think the the response online was interesting, particularly from those who are uh, referees at community level football. Um, I particularly noticed that there, because I, 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 I questioned it as well, Marissa, I think the same as you did, um, the discrepancy between those two punishments. And there were a couple of people who tweeted um, clarifying what the laws of the game were and things like the point of contact, um, endangering the safety of the player, uh, different sort of technicalities, I suppose, that maybe I'm not as educated in as what these people are. Well, clearly not because they're referees, um, and that's fair. But it does, it does make me wonder about the laws generally and about who they protect and what they're for like I don't want to blame the referees because they're doing their job according to their interpretation of the rules and what the letter of the law is. But if this is the outcome where you have a Sarah Carroll who absolutely goes through someone like a Paige Hayward and could potentially cause a concussion, her head could have hit the ground really hard, she could have been seriously injured, and that receives a yellow. But a Kyra Cooney cross going in, to a tackle, not with a clear studs up from what I can remember um, and gets a red card. And those are the two results of interpretations of certain rules. It makes me wonder about the rules and what the purpose of them are and whether they, we ought to perhaps question the way in which they're written 
so that they can be interpreted in such different kinds of ways that results in moments like this. And it goes back perhaps as well to the Sydney Derby where Taylor Ray got her hair pulled as well and why only that was deserving of a yellow card when I think pretty much everybody who watched it thought that it should have been a red because it endangered the safety of the player. Um, so I'm not a referee. I'm not involved with the laws of the game, but I, I have to question whether these rules are or ought to be updated in some ways to take into account the fact that they can be so differently interpreted by referees and that the punishments that are meted out based on those interpretations can seem so inadequate for the situation that has actually unfolded. I reckon the Carol one, you could just say it was a wrong call, can't you? Like it just straight, like it's some, one of those ones where you go a bit of the, the pub test and I know that that's not as accurate as the laws of the game, but the, and I'm not just like the pretty clear consensus seemed to have been uh, she was lucky not to get a red, Carol, this is. And the general vibe was Karina Croft probably should have been a yellow. Like that was the general vibe that I've gathered coming across. It, the Karina Croft one was weird because it looked like she almost sort of was going to control the ball and then didn't and then went to try and control the ball and it turned into a challenge. And it didn't even really look like the ref was going to act. And then we see Larissa Crummer down holding her leg and then the the red comes out and I think everyone like Cooney Cross had just been backing off, you know, expecting a free kick and play to continue again. Because when you see the the reactions from the players, I think is where you, you go, Oh, if, if they're not all, it's like a handball penalty, right? If they're not all screaming that she should be off, then you kind of query it. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not too sure in terms of the, you make valid points there, Sam, in terms of the laws of the game, but it just feels like the, the Carol one was a, a red, and it's just not being given a red. And the Cooney Cross one, I've seen some people say, yeah, it's a red. I've seen a lot more people say yellow. So it's. Uh, I think it is just the, the contrast between the two doesn't help. But on first side of the Cooney Cross one, at least, I was like, seen that given a yellow a lot more than I've seen that given a red. I don't know if that helps the situation at all. But, yeah. Angela, what did, what did you think of the challenge is... Uh, I, I can only really, I, I don't know. I tend to be like, I, I can barely pay attention to like one thing for a sustained amount of time. I can't imagine being a referee where you have to be paying attention to so much st- stuff all at once. And again, make split decisions in the moment. I sort of feel like maybe there should be a new rule, which is like the America's next top model one where you can actually like back pedal and they're like I actually know it's yellow I was just kidding so do you get do you know the reference when they announced the wrong they announced the wrong winner and then they had to like be like oh whoops you didn't actually win America's Next Top Model this other person anyway um so I don't like and that's obviously a complete nonsense suggestion but I I'm just thinking in terms of obviously with these moments where these decisions are made and they generate discussion um Kiana noted so Kiana was one of the folks on Twitter who did the in-depth thread and to be honest bestie I had no idea what what was happening in that like that's what I mean I would never be a ref because I again there's so much that they have to take into consideration for them to to then decide that something serious foul play which I didn't know before so I've obviously learned a lot through this experience but um Kiana noted that these sorts of things they do generate discussion which is awesome and I'm, I'm glad that a lot of it has been quite 
um, I guess a lot of the discussion has been really informative and interesting and I've really enjoyed even just on this conversation between Anna and Sam um, being sort of sitting aside to that and absorbing it all. I will say as well, um, I wonder if there's like a way where we can applaud good referee, like good games that have been refed because, again, like it's these moments where things seem like um, an injustice, like a bad decision where these discussions start. But then like if a ref has a really good game and they ref, I don't know, I don't see a lot of people hopping online to like compliment them. I don't know. But then again, I, I feel like it's one of those things where you don't notice when someone does a really great job refing a game so that it's really hard to then um, give plaudits when they're due. So I'm not sure I, this is a, a ramble at this point, but, um, I don't know. Does thankless I, job. Huh? Thankless it's a thankless, job. It's a yeah. thankless job in that sense. It's a, but they do an important job. We, uh, we don't get any of these games away without them. So I think that's the important thing to note. And I did like that you say that Angela did prompt people who work as referees or who, uh, very interested in the laws of the game to talk about it and to analyze those decisions and maybe maybe clear clear things up um but yeah it's yeah i'm sure we'll move on pretty quickly but they were yeah there were certainly big talking points it's worth noting as well there was um that Gemma Lewis from Wellington wasn't wasn't wrapped <laughs> with the refereeing in um their game against Sydney FC just because it was a talking point um there was a penalty given i think for a foul off the ball and princess abeni that they weren't happy with and i think they felt a lot didn't go their way including a challenge. Uh, I think one of their players might have got a boot to the face that didn't get uh, picked up on. So they clearly weren't trying to take away from their result. They very much took the uh, took the hit in that sense and said it was, you know, their own responsibility that they lost 5-0. But, um, yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, but, yeah, on the, on the whole, it's, uh, yes, it's not an easy game to, to referee. I don't envy them. Um, envy them doing that especially in in this climate where games are getting changed here and there moved around and switched and it's all very um it's all very difficult so yeah hopefully as you say less less for us to talk about next round and I think it will I want to round this out just by repeating myself from what I tweeted which is that I think there was confusion there was discussion for the most part. It was respectful from what I saw, which I think is paramount when it comes to kind of refereeing discussions because they cop some shit. Um, but I think everyone kind of had the confusion, had the discussion, and then by the next morning there was we were done with it and that was a beautiful thing and we didn't have to deal with VAR. Which and I we think... didn't have VAR. <laughs> that, like, I can't stress it can't enough. Stress it enough. <laughs> like I would, I would much rather us all get fired up or talking or discussing a couple of refereeing decisions because it is very much swings and roundabouts rather than the game being dominated by VAR and what camera angle and how offside is this player and how not offside is this player and bloody eight minutes of additional time at the end of the game because of two VAR calls. Oh, one of the best things about the A-League women, there are many, many great things, but the absence of VAR is just one of the best. We can all agree on that. Do not I will just VAR. say just quickly, like VAR bad, but um, Anna, I think it was you who mentioned that like Kyra Cooney Cross can actually appeal the decision with the red, which was something that couldn't be done. Um, I think it was, I'm thinking of the, 17-18 season, I think, when Maka got that red card 
when she was playing for Raw and she couldn't do anything about it. But then there was that interesting situation where Lisa Devanna bumped Fishlock in the semi-final between City and Canberra and then Devanna got penalised for that. But then there was no formal structural process at that point in time for players to actually appeal because there wasn't enough broadcast I think that's what they need, right? They need vision to be able to actually appeal the decision. So on the other side of it as well, it's it's great that we're in a position where the women's, like A-League women can actually, it's so basic, right? But like they can appeal these decisions and there's that infrastructure in place. I just wanted to put a, a posy spin on it a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, no, no, thank you to VAR. In the sense also that like VAR requires like X amount of additional referees, um, and I like I don't know if we're at that point yet in Australian football to be able to well I, obviously they've done it in the men's but in A League women like let's just focus on getting top quality refereeing as it is. If there's only so much money to go around, I would rather our referees be full time than introducing VAR. That's all I'll say about that. That's just a no brainer, oh, Sam. Like literally anything preferable to to VAR, but. Full-time refs right up there. I think that's that on that. Let's move on to some how goods. Anna, do you want to start us off with the how good? Yeah. uh, Casey Dumont being unavailable for Melbourne victory this weekend meant that after, geez, let me just double check the stats on this because I want to get this right. Quick maths with Harrow. Quick maths. Melissa Mosales signed her first professional contract with Melbourne victory in 2012 and 10 years later finally made her A-League women debut for her hometown club, um, which is quite incredible when you think about it. She's literally been around like forever, like as long as, at least as long as I've been following the dub, she's been around. She had stints at Canberra where she won championship as a second goalkeeper. She's been here and there and sort of bounced to and from victory a bit, but always seems to to end up back home. I know she made an appearance in the AFC Club Championship um, a couple of years back, but incredibly had, yeah, had never been fortuitously timed to be at victory when um, she could actually get on the field. A lot of it was as a second goalkeeper. Kastamovsky was around for a long time as victory's second goalkeeper. And then at other times where there's been injuries, it's been like, Tegan Micah was there for a bit and then Sham Karmas had that one time sitting on the bench at Victory, which was very, very random. Um, so, yeah, fantastic. She's obviously a vice captain of Victory this year, which shows the esteem she's held in at the club. Very well respected and well-loved member of, of that club. And it's always nice to see um, good people get their reward um, for their hard work. So a difficult day between the sticks, obviously. Um copying that loss but I'm sure it's still a, a memory she'll never forget so congratulations um to Melissa Mazels and how good very very good Angela how good yeah um this is a bit belated we we had a sort of situation where we had lots and lots of how goods and then it's actually been kind of quiet the past few weeks so forgive me this news is a little bit old but um on topic for what we were just talking about, um, Capital Football announced in December of last year, wow, 2022, World Cup's next year, guys, World Cup is next year. Anyway, they announced that um, they will now be doing pay parity for between MPL women and MPL men's refereeing, which is awesome and um, definitely feeds into, yeah, broader discussions around supporting top quality referees across all levels and 
um, of both sides of the men's and women's game. Um, they did want to implement it in 2021, but I think the Roni, she, she put a stop to that. Um, but, yeah, it's great, and it means that um, hopefully good refing, it will um, encourage more people to ref the women's game. One question I do sort of have, I really hope that um, this situation means that those who have been prioritising refereeing in the women's game and those who've sort of made sacrifices to do so will get rewarded rather than um, it sort of giving more prestige to refereeing MPL women and people entering that space and dislodging those who've been around for a while, if that makes sense. I'd like, and I'm hoping gender parity is somewhat on the radar as well. Obviously one step at a time, this is a, a great first move from capital football. Um, I think they're one of the first football federations to do so as well. And they're still in it called pay um, in the other football federations around Australia. So hopefully others follow suit as well. Um, otherwise, yeah. Uh, how good to that. Uh, there's a, um, Isabel Kitts did a write up in the Canberra times. If you want to read more. Sam, how good? Yeah, my how good this week relates to community football as well. Um, last week I was lucky enough to be invited to the Afghan Cup, which was hosted by the Western Sydney Wanderers out in Rudy Hill at their training base. It's a, an annual competition that's hosted all around Australia by Australia's Afghan community. Um, this uh, They've only had a, a women's uh, sort of competition for the last couple of years. And this year was the highest number of women's teams that had been entered. So there were two teams from Melbourne, one from Sydney, one from Brisbane and one from Adelaide. Uh, one of the Melbourne teams ended up winning the competition on penalties, which was fabulous. Um, and I was lucky enough to interview one of the players who was secretly enrolled along with many of her teammates because she is an Afghan women's national team player and was one of the players who escaped Kabul in August of last year and fled to Australia with her teammates and her family. It was a really extraordinary uh, moment for me professionally and personally. I was really moved by the story that I heard and that I was um, privileged enough to be trusted with. And overall, the tournament itself was just really special. It was really it was really amazing seeing the power that football has for people like this who are dislocated from their homes. Many of them are still not reunited with their families. They're still having to negotiate really difficult um, visa systems and bureaucracies that are broken and trying to support families back home in what is effectively a failed state. They have no idea when their families are going to be able to come to Australia, if at all, and yet they still maintain so much hope and so much joy and community in moments like this and in tournaments like this where they can all come together and share in their experiences because a lot of them outside of this particular group they don't really have very many support systems yet they've still only been in Australia for three or four months and so they're, they're still yet to sort of establish themselves in their communities so having tournaments like this that brings all the, all of these people together where they can share their memories they can share their own language their own food their music their history their culture together is really really special and it was a big reminder that even though on this podcast we talk about a-league women's we talk about matildas we talk about the professional level football at its heart and the vast majority of the iceberg is community football and this is its importance it, it matters to so many people in so many ways doesn't 
it, it doesn't come down to results. It doesn't matter what the score is. It's about bringing people together and making them feel like they have a second family. And for people like these women escaping from, from war, from, from terror, from hunger, from discrimination, it's, it was just such a powerful moment to be reminded that that's, that's what, why football really matters. So Afghan Cup and Football Federation Australia's support of it as well, all the local football um, organisations, women on side in particular, coming together to support this particular tournament and these women, how good. An enormous how good, but that's enough from us today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google. Anywhere you get podcasts, you can probably find us. We're the giant hot pink thing. Wherever you do listen, subscribe and leave a review if you like what we're doing. If you want to have a chat to us about things and stuff, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see us.